we started this year with that wonderful message of the mother that it is delight that alone can win the victory over evil neither sacrifice nor renunciation but delight this a paradox in this because the path to delight itself is through sacrifice so obviously the mother is saying something much deeper first if there is a sense of sacrifice that we are sacrificing something then it is no more a sacrifice as mother says that when you make an offering and if you remember what you have offered or mention about it to someone then you have not offered to the divine but offered to the vanity of of uh, the demon of vanity inside you so to start with sacrifice which is remembered painful which takes the form of self immolation is not sacrifice true sacrifice is sacrifice of the lower for the greater of the lesser for the vaster this is the original sense it's a purification of half lights and their conversion into true lights it's much later that the word assumed a very different meaning and so much so because of this confusion many people started believing that those who take to a spiritual life have actually escaped this is of course a, a common misunderstanding but once spiritual evolution starts it is by its very nature it demands a sacrifice even of the highest mental idealism which is a half light of ignorance mental idealism is very good when we are still struggling and growing through the mazes of ignorance but once the spiritual evolution starts then we have to sacrifice this light so that a greater and vaster light can occupy us and i thought what better example than the life of netaji subhash chandra bose because recently we we must have heard that some of the secret files were released by the government of india on 26 june actually 23rd june 1897 is his uh, was his birth so it's the 139th birth anniversary and these secret files were kept under wraps because his death has been a mystery of course the circumstances were very interesting he was going in a plane apparently from japan and as the plane took off for taiwan there was an explosion and probably the plane was too heavy and when the pieces fell it seems there were only two persons who tried to escape through the burning corridor so netaji was one of them and he crossed the burning corridor and in the process his whole body he became a torch of flame that's how they describe so when he came out of the uh, came out of the plane he was alive but whole body was burning so at one level nobody really knows because the burning of the body it was beyond recognition but somebody said that this is subhash chandra bose that's how the the controversy came up and obviously he died subsequently to that burns and therefore it was documented it was subhash chandra bose who died but nobody really knows because uh, well those days there was no dna testing there was no nobody no witness to really say that this person who died was really subhash chandra bose that's why the controversy came up and so we know that it it took so many decades eventually the secret files were opened up for public but again the 
the mystery remains it's one of those mysterious deaths which one could say very well that it was like one of those occult deaths which we hear about we know there have been some occult deaths mother herself confirmed for instance hitler's death was an occult death there may have been some physical causes but it was shrouded with mystery so netaji's life is a very interesting um, story which shows us what we can do but also what we should not do so we know that he was a very brilliant person who studied in cambridge uh, he was he stood fourth in ics exams but deeply moved by jallianwala massacre he took to the freedom struggle and initially joined the congress rose up to the level of as a president because he was so much uh, liked by everyone and during this period he was he regarded chitranjan das we know about you know him he fought shivendra's case as his political guru at the same time he was deeply inspired by swami vivekananda and shorbindo yet he eventually ended up as a rationalist who took a leftist turn in his life so he in fact saw in shorbindo a leftist he is a unique person who has described shorbindo as a leftist and eventually he left all that and pursued his uh, his um, strain of mental idealism for freedom of the country with whatever means it may come and that's where he left a very troubled legacy because he traveled all the way first to germany to make pact with hitler and married there a, a german had a daughter but then he was disillusioned so he went all the way to japan he had gone to japan then to germany back and forth even promised that i'll arrange a submarine and indians army to attack the britishers and this army was not an ordinary army 80000 strong army which he had built from prisoners of wars in japan so it was a amazing task at one level what one man could do with his determination and then he went to japan in a submarine from where then subsequently we know that all this happened the this the death or the plane crash which nobody can ever say whether it happened whether it was he or he simply plunged there were all, all kinds of rumors that he swam through the sea and he eventually became a sanyasi in far east so all kinds of things were there but there is another way of looking at his life and that's what i thought that we could read because thanks to dilip kumar roy uh, some way or the other subhash chandra bose remained in indirectly in contact with shirbindo in the sense he would inform shirbindo of his activities and shirbindo and the mother would write letters make some remarks etc about whatever he was doing even in the beginning dilip kumar roy offered pranam on behalf of subhash and few others and shirbindo apparently accepted it and we know that um, subhash chandra bose had these two many illustrious friends among them Jawaharlal Nehru and Subhash Chandra Bose and the two had fought with each other and that had pained him and even that he wrote to Shorbindo and he writes that i think you are not encouraging my friendship with either of them are you against friendship and Shorbindo writes such a beautiful letter that i am not against friendship we have encouraged friendship friendship is part of the thing in the ashram but what we discourage is vital interchange in friendship because that becomes uh, comes in the way of spiritual progress but first something from subhash chandra bose he wrote a uh, he wrote a book in 1937 these are his memoirs an indian pilgrim in which there is a portion he writes about shorbindo it's a very beautiful portion i'll read only very small bits 
So this is Subhash Bose writing in my undergraduate days, Arabindu Ghosh, of course for us sure Bindu, but that's how he was known, was easily the most popular leader in Bengal, despite his voluntary exile and absence since 1909. It's very strange that I have read so many biographies of Sri Bindu. It's very seldom that anything from Subhash Bose memoirs is quoted as part of Sri Bindu's biography and. he was not only a very important figure in indian freedom movement uh, he was literally international in many things including his marriage he was international in outlook at the same time being a thorough nationalist he had watched the movement from very close and he was an extremely brilliant scholar so when he writes something it makes it carries you know an extra weight his was a name to conjure with he had sacrificed a lucrative career in order to devote himself to politics he doesn't speak now of the sacrifice of politics for the sake of the greater truth on the congress platform he had stood up as a champion of left wing thought this is subhas bose and a fearless advocate of independence at a time when most of the leaders with their tongues in their cheeks would talk only of colonial self government so when shubindu was asked by uh, you know some of the disciples that do you know what danger etc he says i have lived with danger sported with it literally lived with danger hanging as a sword above my head quite obviously you know somebody who fearlessly advocate colonial uh, you know is total self independence at a time when people would not dare to speak about it what it would have meant he had undergone incarceration with perfect equanimity his close association with lokmanya tilak had given him an all india popularity while rumor and official allegation had given him an added prestige in the eyes of the younger generation when i came to calcutta in 1913 this is just 3 years after shubindu left the scene Arabindo was already a legendary figure. It's not that after you know even at that time he was regarded as a legend. People who regarded him as an avatar. This this all documented in the papers. Last but not the least, a mixture of spirituality and politics had given him a halo of mysticism and made his personality more fascinating to those. who were religiously inclined rarely have i seen people speak of a leader with such rapturous enthusiasm and many were the anecdotes of this great man some of them probably true which traveled from mouth to mouth and then he speaks about you know shubindu's voluntary writings and you know how during voluntary writings one of the names shubindu used to use was manik you know it would come and he would write manik so in the court trial room one day they found these papers written by shurbindo signed as manik and suddenly the lawyer came very enthusiastically sir please take out an another arrest warrant from mr manik we must find out who mr manik it there were many such a music anecdotes as we know another was when uh, someone spoke about drona as an example that you know as a disciple to drona that's how people were committed to shurbindo that was the whole thing so suddenly 
the lawyer asked now we must find out who this drona is and he asked the person do you know who drona is so he kept on giving a wishy-washy answer you know just to for amusement and it went on and the lawyer was very aghast that nobody is telling me who the drona is and we must find out and even take out an arrest warrant for drona so you know this this is how uh, all of them used to get amused as a college student it was not the mysticism surrounding arabindo's name which attracted me but his writings and also his letters Aurobindo was then editing a monthly journal called Arya in which he expounded his philosophy. He used also to write to certain select people in Bengal. Now we imagine a scene Shurbindo's letters are reaching. Now we have all the letters and they are decorated in the shelves. <laughs> Sad to say we hardly read. But look what used to happen then. Such letters would pass rapidly from hand to hand. Subhas Bose is writing, oh, Shurbindo's letter, rapidly from hand to hand, especially in circles interested in spirituality come politics. In our circle, usually somebody would read the letter aloud and the rest of us would enthuse over it. In one such letter, Aurobindo wrote, we must be dynamos of the divine electricity so that when each of us stands up, thousands around may be full of delight full of bliss and ananda of course we know this is a letter written to barinda and it must have found eventually uh, in that it's a long letter portion of a small letter we felt convinced that spiritual enlightenment was necessary for effective national service but what made lasting appeal to me was not even such utterances I was impressed by his deeper philosophy. Shankara's doctrine of Maya was like a thorn in my flesh. This is Subhash Chandra Bose continuing. I could not accommodate my life to it, nor could I easily get rid of it. I required another philosophy to take its place. And this is the condition of many world over who are filled with you know, this strange paradox of world and God. the reconciliation and it's interesting look at the brilliance of the man that within one paragraph he summarizes beautifully shurbindo's yogic philosophy and that is the time when aryavas had come out in bits and pieces and yet look how he beautifully summarizes the reconciliation between the one and the many between god and creation which ramakrishna and vivekananda had preached had indeed impressed me but had not till then succeeded in liberating me from the cobwebs of maya the theory that the world is an illusion in this task of emancipation aurobindo came as an additional help he worked out a reconciliation between spirit and matter between god and creation on the metaphysical side and supplemented it with a synthesis of the methods of attaining the truth a synthesis of yoga as he called it in one line he has actually so beautifully summarized thousands of years ago the bhagavad gita had spoken about the different yogas now you see how he is connecting it gyan yoga bhakti yoga karma yoga 
to this other schools of yoga had been added later hatha yoga aiming at control over the body and raj yoga aiming at control over the mind vivekananda had no doubt spoken of the need of gyana bhakti and karma in developing an all round character but there was something original and unique in aurobindo's conception of a synthesis of yoga he tried to show how by a proper use of the different yogas one could rise step by step to the highest truth it was so refreshing so inspiring to read aurobindo's writings as a contrast to the denunciation of knowledge and action by the later day bengal vaishnavas all that was needed in my eyes to make aurobindo an ideal guru for mankind was his return to active life that's where the problem came this one last sentence that he could accept everything except one thing which remained as a thorn in his flesh why did shurbindo not return back and it was rumored that time that after 12 years he is going to return back people believe that he is accumulating spiritual powers because only with spiritual powers india can be liberated and there were lot of stories during that time one such stories was that you see lot of people are practicing spirituality not only shurbindo many others and one day when all the britishers are in fort william an army of naga sanyasis will march in very dramatic of course and as they march in all the britishers will be paralyzed <laughs> they won't be able to lift their hands or give orders and there will be a takeover now you see the beauty of this is that there is a subtle truth in it the truth is that indeed the independence came without as much as fighting a battle and shurbindo had foreseen it and that's why he was encouraging people to take to yoga now but there they felt that the sanyasis will march and they will be paralyzed physically but indeed situations came in such a way that the independence came almost served on a platter without as much a fight but this is of course we know that few years after the book he took a different turn went to japan germany joined the axis powers wanted to bring germany and japan into india now this is subhash chandra bose now here is shurbindo how he has seen this whole thing so we have a tendency to look very outwardly and of course a person is great but all greatness need not mean that it's something which is deriving its uh, from the highest truth so it is a half truth of mental idealism and now shobindo writes to dilip of course in the letters which we have now this portion will be missing because obviously names are not there so i have taken it from shurbindo's correspondence to dilip so directly from there where he has the question is there and the letters are there so shurbindo writes you will remember is telling dilip you will remember that both the mother and i were very unhappy about subhash again subhash for having brought the japanese into india and reproached him literally through burma japanese had entered there was a movie actually the bridge across kwai river was actually you know based on a portion of this history so again who knows behind all these movements there was a divine action because they had literally almost entered imagine much later the chinese would enter we were vulnerable through the hindu kush shobindo speaks about it but we became vulnerable through other route and this route remains vulnerable recently terrorists had tried to come and you know they were chased right into the burmese border 
so they had used because thick thick forest dense forest and reproached him with it as a treason and crime against the motherland shubindo's words that when subhas bose tried to bring germany and japan into india shubindo regarded it as a treason and a crime against the motherland look what yogic vision is so different for if they had got in it would have been almost impossible to get them out worse than hitler's nazi army the mother knows the japanese nation well so you see what what beauty you know what largeness in a yogi vision on one side the mother has appreciated the beauty of japan everything but she has also said that what they lack is the spiritual element they draw their energy from the vital and there is a very beautiful vital but because this lack of the spiritual element if they entered what it would have meant for india mother knows the japanese nation well and was positive about that okawa the leader of the black dragon told her that if india revolted against the british japan would send her navy to help but he said that he would not like the japanese to land because if they once got hold of indian soil they would never leave it and it was true enough so shobindu could foresee all this which subhas bose said that you know mental idealism is like that no we have to do it this is good this is bad this is evil and i must destroy it not realizing that it calls in greater evil in its wake which could be total totally disastrous if the japanese had overrun india and they would have done it if a powerful divine intervention had not prevented it now in one line or half a line shobindo is to my understanding probably revealing the secret mystery behind the so called missing files of subhash chandra bose mysterious deaths shobindo has not mentioned what is that intervention nowhere but he speaks about it passingly if the japanese had overrun india and they would have done it if a powerful divine intervention had not prevented it this is in letter written just 2 years after his death 1945 18th august subhash chandra bose seemingly died and this letter is in 1947 and if a powerful divine intervention had not prevented it and turned the tables on them even we know that hiroshima and nagasaki such horrible things yet even behind it even shobindo speaks of it that the atom the secret of the atom was to be given to mankind much later but because of the exigency of the situation where japan and germany had come together as axis powers this truth had to be given to mankind much earlier than it was ready for it but there was no other way to stop so this was the way which you know we may not understand it's literally like in olden times we hear brahmastra being used by great yogis and somebody becomes an instrument so it's almost like that because you know atom bomb is much like brahmastra they would have joined the germans in mesopotamia and the caucasus and nothing could have saved europe and asia from being overrun this would have meant the destruction of her work and a horrible fate for this country and for the world so we know about the german side 
but we seldom speak about the japanese side of the story you can understand therefore the bitterness of our feelings at that time against subhash and his association with the axis and the disaster to his country for which he would have been responsible incidentally incident, instead of being liberated in 1948 which came about because all this did not happen very often in history we read about what happened but a lot of story is about what did not happen but that only the divine knows we can think about it as possibilities so even in our individual lives we count our life as what happened what happened what happened so but there is another side of the story which is what didn't happen what didn't happen what didn't happen and lot of things both positive and negative is a way of saying don't happen which if happened would have been disastrous or on a positive side if it would have happened it would have changed our individual and collective destiny for instance subhas bose would have followed the spiritual streak of his nature and sacrificed the mental idealism it would have been a very different thing imagine with that tremendous vitality and a brilliant mind what it would have meant so if it happened india would have had to spend a century or several centuries in a renewed servitude if japanese would have come in several centuries today we would have been just sitting not in hall of harmony but maybe in hall of disharmony so this all this thanks to mother shivindo when therefore the mother heard that you were writing a book eulogizing subhash she disapproved strongly of any such thing issuing out of the ashram and she wanted that you should be asked not to publish it it was not something dictatorial it was something which was needed it was a truth which should manifest out of the ashram and not falsehood it was a total falsehood which his mental idealism and ignorance he thought is truth a truth of the moment of course later on when all this was over and mother met one of the chief lieutenants of subhash who was traveled who traveled in submarine and this lieutenant recounted the stories of subhash chandra bose about the patriotic fervor in his heart mother had a soft corner <laughs> but she did say what he was doing was disastrous but she did have subsequently but at that point of time then again even before that this is 1947 in 1926 that's the time when subhash bose had just come into the picture actually came into the picture in 1925 just you know 25 years after shirbindo so 1926 a letter from subhash chandra bose to dilip kumar roy appeared in the pravartak of chandanagar pravartak was a magazine being taken out by motilal roy and others now you see shirbindo has read at that time what became obvious much later subhash remarked in it that though he had great respect for vivekananda he considered shirbindo gambhir deeper than the former now look he is praising him so normally shirbindo should return the compliment yes yes subhas is marvelous we need such men fire brand in the country to liberate so shirbindo is quietly listening in the letter he accepts shirbindo as a genius and a great dhyani but he thinks 
that too long remaining away from what is called active life tends to one-sided development and may help some few to become supermen. But for the generality of men, he would prefer the path of service and work. It sounds very innocuous. But Sri picks up that portion and he says, Sri for ordinary men, work is of course necessary. But one who wants to do divine work must prepare himself. He must learn to be an instrument first. All these people have to learn that the work they take up is only a preparation for the divine work. So we often think, oh, this is the work mother gave me. So we are not automatically begin to do the divine work. She is given to prepare. There is something else which is a divine work, but initially it's a preparation. They must know that it is not any mentally constructed work to which they must obstinately stick if they want to be the instruments of God. So very often men are driven by a mental idealism and we know famous instances including Anin Baran Roy and we think that, oh, and we derive some justification from Shurabindra and the mother and we say, yes, yes, this is the work given to me. And then we start feeling that we are doing divine work. But it's just a field of preparation. For instance, all these tall ideas like Madam Wise, of course we know Madam Wise, uh, Annie Besant and you know those people, but here it's about regenerating India and taking up big schemes and being regarded as big workers and saviors have got a fascination. People get easily attracted to these schemes. Ah, Something big is being done here. Let's go for that. Activism. Let's give a dharna and bring down the government. But what? Shirobindo Ashram, quietly they are sitting, they go to Samadhi, these fools. They don't know real life, what's happening in the world. They don't know real problems. Corruption, bribery, they should fight against it. They are just going there, meditating, going down before Samadhi, reading some books, going for Darshan Day. What they are doing? So, Shirobindo is saying... <laughs> One who wants to do the divine work must learn to forget the difference between important and unimportant work. Small work and great work. Till the work that is intended is found by him. Eventually he will discover the place which he occupies in the universal concert. It may be big or small in men's eyes, it doesn't matter. And he has to do it faithfully. And then Shobindo Remarks to um, Dilip Kumar Roy in 1934. Oh, <laughs> I had never a very great confidence in Subhas's yoga turn getting the better of his activism. So we have these two strands to become an activist, to change things, to write letters to President Obama and uh, Prime Minister of India and you know do something about it well this is one streak of nature we believe that that's how things will change things will change perhaps and there are people who have to do this this kind of work should do it but when the fire of yoga awakens then it's a different line one has to take and that's what Shubhindo reminds us he has two strong ties that prevent it normally when we talk about renunciation we think external renunciation but there is another more important renunciation which goes unnoticed. And Shobindo speaks about them as ties. Ambition and need to act and lead in the vital. 
this is the first time strong ambition must be at the top as a leader must act not step back as if if one went away the world would collapse it's a very sad realization but the sooner one realizes the better it is that even if like you know what the gita says arjuna even if you go away my work will be done divine work is done regardless of anybody's presence or absence but we keep on believing it's one of those illusions which prevents the spiritual consciousness to grow i am indispensable for the work i am a great instrument oh if i leave the field what will happen to the work well if the mother wants it to collapse it will collapse if she doesn't new instruments will come and fresh things will go inside if she wants it to progress she will prepare an instrument and do the things but this is one of the illusions and the second is and in the mind a mental idealism we never regard it as contrary to yoga we think oh naturally we must be idealists and in ignorance idealism is the half light it's very good necessary when we are ignorant shobinder has spoken about it but when light begins to dawn then it is like those candle flares in the in the night so when light begins to dawn and one wants to observe the candle then what happens one will eventually carry this candle in the dark because in front of the light one can't see it it's you know mother speaks about the japanese who couldn't take up yoga because he said i have to sacrifice love for my country i can't do it that's the highest ideal for me so this is the cross road at which sometimes people stand so shivindu say there are two ties which he can't give up one is the need to act in the vital through the push of ambition and the second is mental idealism and then shivindu says these two things are the great fosterers of illusion so it's not just outer things that bind up it's not this person that person this activity that activity it is this kink in the mind and this kink can take place when one has renounced everything ah i am a great renunciate i am the one doing sadhana others are just wasting their time this kink can take many turns i am the one who should be recognized so all these things are the great illusions which you know at one level who really are we is look at the immensity of the cosmos and the divine consciousness and we think you know we are so full of self importance that divine must do everything according to my needs according he should put put me in the center and do things so sometime just to tease us he does things which are totally opposite to what we want them to be so he has fun we should play according to his rules okay fine you are having fun i will also have fun anyways we are not at the center of things but this is an illusion the spiritual path needs a certain amount of realism it's not an escape it's being realistic one has to see the real value of the things that are which is very little real value of mental idealism activism at the end it is very little except as steps in evolution so these are meant as steps in the journey but when the spiritual fire has been lit then they have to be renounced and we see shurmindu would always like for instance ab purani he had this same problem how can i leave the country's freedom movement and follow yoga and shurmindu had to convince him by saying if i assure you that india will gain independence and without violent means would you take it from me and then he says yes if you give the assurance yes 
and he gives the assurance and then he follows the path so how it's so important to do this dilip kumar also had these dilemmas then one can either follow the spiritual static path of rest and release or the spiritual dynamic path of a greater truth to be brought down into life then he further qualifies it it's the same thing i do not know why you drag in humanitarianism subhash's activism philanthropic seva etc none of these are part of my yoga or in harmony with my definition of works so they don't touch me i never thought that congress politics shivind has a wonderful touch of humor coming through serious streaks i never thought that congress politics or feeding the poor or writing beautiful poems would lead straight to vaikuntha or the absolute if it were so ramesh dat on one side and bodelier on the other would be the first to attain the highest and welcome us there <laughs> he is so realistic know the difference between true spirituality and a thinker philosopher activist all these are fine things as meant during the mental evolution but they should not be confused with the real stuff the spiritual and and of course much later the supramental evolution it is not the form of the work itself or mere activity but the consciousness and godward will behind it that are the essence of karma yoga the work is only the necessary instrumentation for the union with the master of works then further he says i have read your correspondence with subhash your main point is of course quite the right thing to answer all this insistence upon action is absurd if one has not the light by which to act it's like we rush into darkness and say i give me give me a stick and i am going to hit so stick is handed over and when the light comes you see you have ended up hitting each other because you didn't know where the enemy is or who the enemy is you had the sticks but not the light so one ended up fighting and hurting each other's head so shivinda says first one must have the light light without it yoga must include life and not exclude it does not mean that we are bound to accept life as it is with all its stumbling ignorance and misery and the obscure confusion of human will and reason and impulse and instinct which it expresses so this is about all life is yoga it's not that automatically whatever we do becomes yoga the advocates of action think that by human intellect and energy making an always new rush everything can be put right the present state of the world after a development of the intellect and a stupendous output of energy for which there is no historical parallel is a signal proof of the emptiness of the illusion under which they labor this is called realism that people think that by mental intellectual activity vital rush well history has seen much greater you look at france when you know renaissance period such great thinkers look at greece and look where it stands with such a great intellectual revolution but still the vedas are alive these things don't really can create a lasting impact they are necessary in a course of history but that's all 
yoga takes the stand that it is only by a change of consciousness that the true basis of life can be discovered so naturally with all these letter, uh, letters subhas um, now look the other side of stories such a complex human beings are so once dilip kumar roy saw a dream in which he saw subhas bose come to him as a sanyasi of the shaivite parampara and he is talking about gauri vallabh and things like that so he made he was sure that this uh, this something has happened to me or to subhas bose and he wrote a letter to shirbindo what did i see because subhas bose doesn't believe in any more in god etc but he is totally subscribes to the left wing thought but look what shirbindo writes your meeting with subhas was not on the physical plane so he is confirming that you have met met him now you know despite all this outer activity we know how dilip kumar roy himself had so much of eventually antagonism but towards the end i mean what poems he has written and at the last day he he tells indra devi wash my hands i have to touch the feet of the lord today that is the day he left his body so there is an inner life which is very different although it was not a sleep nor was it with the physical subhash the subhash you met there was some part of him of which the external physical subhash is probably not himself aware this was the streak which was there which was impressed by swami vivekananda and shirbindo but could never fully come out in the open it is quite possible that there is a shiva bhakta who could speak in praise of gauri vallabh it may be even from there that come the velities of sadhana when he is in prison and the surface kinetic man discouraged and inactive so this is the way shivinda looked at it and finally when all this was happening he received a letter from daughter of sarojini naidu padmaja that nehru and subhash have begun to fight with each other they are at loggerheads so this pained dilip kumar roy and he wrote to shirbindo and how shirbindo reminds it it's a all time letter particularly in our context because we easily lend a ear to anybody you know nice advertisement comes that you know really what has happened that a bahu is coming and she pours water in the sasuma's glass and it spills over a little on the table cloth it's a very nice advertisement i don't know for what the advertisement is that's irrelevant <laughs> that's the problem of these good advertisement so then there is a lady who sees it she tells another lady now she says you know what happened this daughter in law she came <laughs> with a whole bucket of water she poured on her you know mother in law's head can you imagine such a daughter in law and she saying oh my god this has happened yes yes i saw with my own eyes so you know this is how rumors and scandals go about so shirbindo says i would certainly not hang anybody on the testimony of padmaja she has too much of a delight in scandal mongering of the worst kind but i suppose she would not cite jawaharlal as a witness if there was nothing in it so there is something the question is how much exaggeration i am afraid it is not at all impossible that shubhash should say one thing to jawaharlal and quite another to somebody else man of that stature politics is like that 
a dirty and corrupting business full of policy strategy tactics diplomacy in other words lying tricking maneuvering of all kinds but we have nice terms it's about politics diplomacy strategy tactics but basically it's about lying for it is a field in which uh, it has after all always been a trade or art of cautelia from the beginning and to touch it and not be corrupted is far from easy for it is a field in which people fix their eyes on the thing to be achieved and soon become careless about the character of the means while ambition ego and self interest come pouring in to aid the process and then it's a final beautiful i mean not so beautiful about human nature but penetrating inside into human nature human nature is prone enough to crookedness as it is shobindo <laughs> had no illusions about what humanity is but here the ordinary restraints put upon it fail to be at all effective that however is general and then shobindo closes it with a kind of grace in a particular case one can't pronounce without knowing the circumstances more at first hand or before having seen the documents cited i thought this is such a marvelous thing for all of us to remember when somebody says something about someone we should try to go first hand and secondly if somebody has quoted something look for the documents especially when it is quoted in the name of mother and shurbindo and at least i have found it 99.99% of the times it's just one's own head mother said this and mother wrote this that's the irony and beauty of it i'll close here in a particular case one can't pronounce without knowing the circumstances more at first hand shobindo is saying this who could have the trikal darshita or before having seen the documents cited so we'll continue next week which probably will be the last before we close for the savitri sessions from 22nd to 27th so next week will be the last for 3 weeks